Welcome to ConExpo ConAg Radio, where we bring you boots on the ground perspectives from construction business owners and industry experts about their successes, challenges, and whatever else is on their minds. Consider them your own personal mentors on technology implementation, equipment solutions, business management, and more, enabling you to apply their expertise to your business. Held every three years in Las Vegas, ConExpo ConAg is North America's largest construction trade show. For even more ways to connect with the industry, visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect. We've got another great guest on the show today, so let's dig in. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Contractor Conversations on ConExpo ConAg Radio. I'm your host, Missy Sherber. We would love to learn more about you, our listeners, so we can better align our future episodes to your wants and needs please take our short survey at conexpoconag.com slash radio survey by May 31st for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Joining us today is Justin Ozinga, president of Ozinga, a fourth generation family business best known for its red and white striped concrete mixer trucks. While involved in the company since a young teen, Justin moved up the ranks and was recently appointed as president of all of Ozinga operations, including ReadyMix Concrete, Aggregates, and Cement. Ozinga has more than 2,000 employees, primarily in operations in the Midwest and Florida. All right, Justin, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Of course. Well, we've had some fun conversation leading up to this, and I'm excited to share everything you've got uh, with the audience. But for those who may not know you or who have not heard about Ozinga, give us a quick snapshot of the family's four-generation history uh, in the industry. Would love to. So my great-grandfather, Martin Ozinga Sr., started the business in 1928, and it was in the coal business in Evergreen Park, Illinois. And they delivered coal to people's homes to heat their homes before natural gas was widely available that everybody used. Pretty crazy <laughs> back in the day. And you can imagine that the air wasn't as clean either. I, I can imagine. <laughs> and then as that phased out and went to natural gas, we moved into the uh, building materials business and started doing much more of that. And we didn't actually get into ready mixed concrete until the early 50s. There's some color along the way. So when my grandfather and his two brothers took over the business, World War II started shortly thereafter. And they actually had to close the business for a couple of years um, while they, they all joined the military. Wow. And uh, they all came back, thankfully. And uh, But it was a great experience for them. And then they opened up shortly thereafter. And then uh, not too long later, got in the ready mix concrete business and that's uh, just started in Evergreen Park, and the second location was also Illinois. And my dad and his two cousins started working in the family business, which is the third generation. And, uh, you know, funny story there, my grandfather was in the banking business. It was Evergreen Bank at the time, which is no longer around now. But my grandfather told my dad, let me know if you're interested in this ready mix business. Otherwise, I'm going to sell it. And uh, there was just, it was, it was uh, a fairly decent sized company back then, maybe 50 employees. But uh, my dad was in college at the time, just, just graduating college. And he said, yes, for sure. I'm interested. So at, I think he was only 22 or 20, you know, something like that, 22 years old. And he took over as a general manager of the ready mix concrete business. Wow. And, so that uh, was your father in the video. Be, that, that was, was your... my father. Wow. Martin Ozinga the third. Correct. Wow. Awesome. 
his he had one brother and one sister and his brother went into the banking business uh, at Evergreen Bank. And so he he ended up growing it with his two cousins and they you know started off I think it was one or two locations and then by the time my brothers and I came around he was up to probably 18 to 20 locations uh, maybe slightly more and uh, one of the things that was a very memorable for me so we started off in the family business my brothers and I uh, at a very young age high school we were working around in the summers and that kind of stuff but then fast forward a little bit when we finally took over the family business as the fourth generation the third generation had this big sigh of relief and and they said you know they said we we've made it we've transitioned and that was their goal all along to pass it to pass it on down to the next generation and they said if you guys screw it up it's all your fault now <laughs> we're done for <laughs> right and so we we took that very serious and uh that's that's a burden that we carry in a good way uh that that we definitely want to pass it on down to the fifth generation ourselves. And that's sort of our time frame horizon outlook on the business is so there's 32 kids in the fifth generation that are 18 and under basically. And, and that's uh, all the children of my five brothers, myself and my cousin, Jeff. And uh, so we're, we're excited that we've had three of them at, that have worked in the summer so far. And so we've had three of the fifth generation get paychecks from Mozinga already, which wow. is super exciting. And uh, so that's that's one of our goals as a family is to continue this legacy and keep passing it on down through the generations. That's unbelievably impressive because, you know, first of all, construction companies struggle just to get past the first generation. I mean, it's a lot of work to get past the first five, 10 years of business, but to carry on a company and a name and a legacy to now almost five generations is pretty remarkable. What would you like attribute that? too. I mean, is that the core values? Is that the family dynamic? I mean, how, I know that's a big question there, but if you could narrow it down, what are some of the big things that stand out to you on how we were able to have almost five generations now take over a family business? I would say it's several things for the family. One of the things that's been a, a pillar of our family for all generations is we, we believe that uh, our purpose in, in owning this business is to honor and glorify God and serve the crown of his creation, our fellow man. And so we, we live with that purpose that the business isn't really ours. We're stewards of it. And we're here wow. to make the most of the resources we've been given that we've been blessed with. And for us now, that's just to make a positive impact on, on families and community and, and those that are all around us. And so that's how we really feel about it, that it's ours for a time and we've been given this enormous blessing and we want to make the most of it and do the most with it and really give back a lot to the communities that have, that have blessed us. And when we have that mentality, it's, uh, it's easier not to get wrapped up in the hype of, you know, how much work you accomplish or how much money you're making or not making or, or, you know, how many employees you have, or none of that really matters. All that really matters is the people and, and the, and the impact that you're having on them and as well as their families in the community. And, and so that to us is by far the, the largest blessing. And, and that's gone through all generations. We really look at that through that lens of how are we doing as a company and helping the world in a positive way is, is the world a better place because we were here. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And I watched the video on your website. Uh, it's about a 15 minute video that talks about the history of your company. I recommend all of our listeners listen to it. And I heard that pillar that you're talking about 
with every generation and every, every leader that spoke on that video, which was incredible. And so you kind of attribute that to that purpose. It's like a purpose. It's more than just a mission or some values. It's a purpose for the whole company. And I think that's absolutely incredible. And and I'd say 32 kids is a solid succession (laughs) succession plan. I think, I think you got a good thing going there. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite a few. Uh, I have five daughters myself which is fun. I'm having a blast with all my girls growing up in a house of all boys. And my wife grew up in a house of all boys as well. She had four brothers and no sisters. Yeah. So that's just been tons of fun for me, but, but all the nephews and, and nieces, and we, we try to get them together on a regular basis, at least once a month, just so they grow up, like getting to know each other and learn how, you know, to handle different emotions from other cousins and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's all intentional. We, we want to keep them close and in case any of them want to join the business and, there's a lot of history there. It's not like they're just meeting each other for the first time. Right. That's awesome. So I think the, you know, talking about the four generations, like I said, that video is a great sneak peek for people to go check it out. I really want to focus on your role today and your role within the company. Talk to me about your history within the company, where you started and how that's led to your role as president today. Sure. So my first paycheck from Mozinga, I was a I was a junior in high school and uh, my dad came up to my brother, Carl and I, Carl's the second, I'm the third in the, in the line. And he said to us, it's about time you guys start working. And and this was during the school year. Right. (laughs) And so he said, okay, what did you have in mind? And he said, well, you could start by cleaning my offices in the morning. And we're like, yeah, but we have to be in high school by eight 30. So he's like, so yeah. <laughs> they're like, all right, well, how long? And he's like, well, you could start for two hours every morning. So we get up at four, four thirty, and go clean his offices and clean the toilets and mop the floors and do all that stuff that, wow. And, uh, and, and then we, you know, the downside to that is I think we slept through a lot of our classes and our grades suffered quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> the offices were clean. <laughs> we, we had a good excuse. Right. And, uh, but, but the offices were clean for sure. And then from there, you know, college, I, I, I worked summers during college. I remember one summer in particular, I would start in our Chicago yard and, uh, you know, we were working in the uh, barges of cement with the dust everywhere, cleaning the plants, shoveling under the, the conveyor belts and all that kind of stuff. We'd start, you know, 5 a.m. In, in Chicago with my brother, Paul. Now he's my fifth, the fifth in line. And, uh, and then we'd take off for lunch around noon and then all the guys, the yard guys and the drivers would be like, oh, early day today, huh? You guys are, you know, half days. And we're like, yeah, whatever. Like, we would just blow it off. But then we'd go close up at another yard and start there like by one o'clock. And we'd be there till eight, 10 o'clock at night sometimes. So wow. we were putting in, you know, sometimes 14, 16 hour days all through the summer. And, uh, you know, same there, not good for for sleep, but you know, the, the guys at the other yard, when we closed up at the end of the day, they'd be like, oh, it must be nice to sleep in till noon and, you know, get here. And <laughs> so right. we'd be like, yeah, whatever, you know, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so, but then, uh, so that, that was fun. Those are, you know, good days and of hard work and just learning the value of just putting in long hours and, and, uh, hard work, the work that nobody else wanted to do. Um, so graduated college, uh, went to Westmont college in California with a business degree. And so now that I'm armed with this uh, business degree, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, take on the big jobs, right? And of course, my, my first job was a 30 pound air hammer, chipping out 
concrete drums, uh, <laughs> both at the central mix plant and, and all the mixer drums in the, in the shop. And so that was my job for nearly a whole summer with my cousin, Jeff. <laughs> right after fresh out of college, back to right. the hard work. <laughs> right. So, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, you know, chipping out, you know, we don't allow our people to chip the concrete out of the mixers anymore. It's too dangerous. So we, we hire a specialized crew that has all this proper safety equipment and that kind of stuff. It was on the dirty job show you know, that was televised nationally. That was one of the worst jobs in America. And, you know, I enjoyed it. I didn't mind it. It was, you know, you just put all the right ear protection on and you, you just go to town for, you know, for a while and it was, it was dirty and, and hard work, but it felt good. You see your progress at the end of the day and that there's something satisfying about that. So you went from business degree to what was featured as one of the worst jobs in America. That's, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> solid, right. Ex solid post-college experience, right? right. <laughs> Right. I think my dad had this philosophy that I want to give you the worst jobs in the company to see if this is something that you really want to do. Wow. <laughs> wow. See if we could uh, to hack it and if we we're going to quit and go do something else. Yeah. And uh, and we, we all fell in love with the business. Uh, all of us did. So ironically, all five of my brothers, so six of us and, and my cousin are, are working full time in the business today. After that, you know, I, I started doing it all kinds of different jobs, basically got the, the tour of duty. I, I was in dispatch for a while. I ran plants for a while, ran all the heavy equipment. I did not drive a ready mix truck. I, I never got my CDL and that's a good thing. You don't <laughs> want me on the road behind a, a big truck like that, but uh, I'll leave that to the professionals. And then from there, I started working more of an operations role and, and a divisional level, and then uh, became president of one of the divisions. And then when the fourth generation took over, uh, I took over, I was president of the entire ready mix division at that point for all the different areas. And then this past year, 2020, I took a year off. I took a one year sabbatical with my family. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was, uh, so let me back up a little bit. When I was 15, my dad did that with my brothers and I, and my mom, he took a year off of work and we just traveled the world for a year. We're out of the country and he just didn't check, you know, phone calls. There wasn't emails at the time, um, but he just checked out. And uh, that was probably one of the biggest highlights of my life and just learning a lot about different cultures and, and people and in different areas of, of the world. And uh, so I've always dreamed to do that with my family as well. And so that, then I took, uh, I took that time off last year and I was traveling outside the country until I couldn't <laughs> COVID put, put, a, put a little a pause in it. That. Yeah. yeah. And so we had to come back in the, in the U S and in March, but I still took the rest of the year off and just had a fabulous time with my girls and my wife and did some domestic travel. And, and that just gave me a whole new perspective on, on life and recharged my batteries and stuff like that. And for me in, in this position, you, you have to look at, um, as an owner, especially, or, or, a, you know, high level manager, it's a marathon, you know, if you have a 40 year career, you, you really have to take care of yourself. You have to take time off and not everybody's fortunate enough to, I realize that that's a huge blessing that I was able to do that. But e even if you take a, a week or two weeks vacation, like it's just the norm now that people take their phones with them and check all their emails and keep mm -hmm. texting people. And I think that's a, a big disservice. And I've been encouraging all of our people, no matter what position they're in, you know, turn your phones off, like yeah. take your vacation time, especially, but make sure you turn your phone off. Like, don't be a crutch for, you know, the people that work for you to just reach out to you anytime they, they have the least bit of pain or struggle. Like they, they need to figure that out. And that's a good thing. Like give them the tools to do that, train them properly, but, you know, let, let them learn the hard way to make the decisions and, you know, 
have the onus of that. Yeah. I think we struggle with that ourselves, you know, in small businesses, owners always being available, you know, and, right. and Trevor, my husband and I have been talking about some boundaries there of like, you know, I said, don't answer that. He can figure it out. Just let him, let him struggle a little. He'll learn. He'll, he'll call someone else. He'll ask the right person. I think that's so great that you'd bring that up that one people take vacation because we also have staff that won't use all their vacation. And I'm like, you need that time. Right. You I'm need getting to a the break. point now to, to force people to take their vacations. Just <laughs> they, they don't know what they're missing. And, and uh, you're, you're not going to grow unless you're stretched a little bit with you create people dependent on the manager when they don't take time off. Yeah. And they're not, you know, unless you stretch them, they're not going to grow in their own roles. So it's almost kind of a leadership strategy in a sense for your team to step away is what you're I would saying say for and, sure. And to have a break. Sure. So tell me, so you became president. Was it the year before the sabbatical president? Oh, no, so this was just in the last uh, probably six weeks that I became president. Yeah. So it's wow. very, so I, I, I went from doing nothing on my sabbatical to doing almost everything now. <laughs> Not everything. I mean, I, I, I'm one of many uh, wonderful uh, we have so many wonderful people at our company here and so many wonderful managers and just so many talented people that we're just so grateful for. So I'm just, I feel like uh, I could just be myself and, and uh, live out my personal purpose and do the best I can to keep cheering people on and uh, be a resource for anybody that needs me. And, you know, it, back to what I was saying earlier, not to screw things up. <laughs> yeah, right. No pressure as fourth generation to carry right. it on, you know. Right. Um, what do you think one of your most important roles? I think a lot of leaders out there identify with the role of president. What is an important role to you as a president of a company? For me, I would say with the growth that we've had as a company, it's really making sure that we stay true to our culture and our values mm. and hold people accountable to those values. For us, we still feel like we're a small family business, um, even though we've got quite a few uh, employees that work for us now. But that's something that you just can't take for granted that, you know, w- when you have people that work directly around you, it's easier to sort of rub off on, on what that looks like. But mm-hmm. when you don't get to see people very often or um, they're, they're in different geographic areas that you are, the company can sort of take on a life of its own yeah. and can get away from you. And we never want to become a large company that's just transactional, that we lose our sense of purpose and, and reason for, for being in the first place. And so that, that's something that I have a, a, a big burden for is to make sure that we retain our company culture and values. And that's something that we have to be very intentional about. And, you know, whether that's through print or videos or going out and about and doing speaking in front of everybody, just, you know, trying to get out, you know, have as many Ozinga family to get out and about and talk to people and just let them know that, you know, we're still here, we're still family business and we want to keep it that way. And uh, no intention of selling or anything else like that. And so it's not something that's easy. It just takes, it's a lot of work. But it's to us, it's the most valuable thing we could do. Yeah. And I imagine it's pretty easy for you and your teams to stay hands on because you've been in all those roles. For sure. I think as an owner to be able to say, I've been there, I've chipped the concrete (laughs) out of the drum. I've done that. It's you're just so much more approachable out on the job site. How important do you think it is for owners to, you know, have that season where they kind of are out in the field understanding those roles. 
I think it's I think it's very important. I think the more you could get out, the better. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a, especially as we enter in this new age of of more and more technology where you could just be mobile anywhere and you don't really have to be anywhere in particular. I think it's more important forever that you just show up at places and and be there for people. It's still a people business, you know, yes. and, and uh, you have to be in front of people. You, the mobile's fine and it works and it, and it got us through this you know epidemic, I would say, but there's no substitute for being face to face with people. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if, you know, for our calling as a business, if, if we're there to make a positive impact and really show love to people, that's going to be getting out and about and, and, you know, being in front of them. And, and so that's something that we, highly value for sure. I think that's fantastic. So we, you know, made that decision this coming year to delegate all of the roles. I found myself, I hadn't been in the field almost for an entire year because I was mm-hmm. drowning in the roles of the office in the back end. And right. we just del- hired a very talented manager and said, I have to be Trevor and I have to be with our team. We have to be in the field. We have to be connecting with people. That's the whole mission and purpose of what we do. So I love that you've carried that as a core value for four generations. I think that's a huge success to you guys as a company Thank you. Um, and very inspiring, you know, to companies like us who are aspiring to grow. Talk about like your leadership style. I know you've already kind of hinted at, at some of your core values as a leader, but what is your leadership style on a day-to-day basis when it comes to working with your teams? So I'm sort of a dreamer. I like to think, uh, you know, what could be an innovation and, and where we could be going and that kind of stuff. So I'm always a little bit out there and uh, <laughs> as people, you know, call me the idea guy or whatever. And so I have to be pulled back down to earth quite a bit, but uh, I like to push people to the limits of, of, you know, just cause we're, if things have always been done a certain way, that doesn't mean we need to do that going forward. And so I'm always encouraging folks to look at, different and better ways to do what we're doing and things that we're not doing. And, and, uh, and, th- and that comes to all areas, including safety or, or whatever it is, not just the production side of things. I, I like, uh, I sort of get bored with, you know, status quo and things like Groundhog Day doing the same thing every day, the same way <laughs> yeah. I start to like lose interest. And so I, d- I definitely like to keep switching things up and, you know, moving people around into different positions like I was, that's how my brothers and I grew up in the business. That's, that's also part of our culture is just, you know, just cause someone's great in a position doesn't mean they shouldn't, you know, try other areas of the company Yeah. just, you know, to get a well-rounded career. And uh, so we always say that changes our middle name around here. Don't get too mm-hmm. comfortable. And so a lot of things along those lines, as well as just, I'm not a micromanager by any stretch. I like surrounding myself with self-starters that, you know, can sort of plan their own day and that kind of stuff. And more, uh, my leadership style is more through questions than, than telling people. I like to just, you know, engage with people and ask many questions as I can as to how they're doing, what they're working on, how's that going? You know, and I think anytime you could lead with questions, it's much better than making statements. You're going to find out a lot more as a leader you have to make probably, you know, the most important decisions for the future of the company and the more information you can have to make the best decisions, the better. And if you're not asking questions, people will tell you what they think you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And so you have to ask specific questions, you know, as to what, you know, you think you might need to know and that kind of stuff. And the more questions you ask, the better. Those are some really powerful um, leadership statements that 
I'll circle back to at the end. I wrote them down. They were really good. I also liked what you said when it comes to um, how you feel about workforce development, um, which is a big buzzword right now. And I think the message we're trying to put out is workforce development isn't just a buzzword. It's an action. It's something we need to be actively involved in. And you said you believe that all people are a constant work in progress. There's no such thing as perfection, which is one of your core values. Um, Dive into that a little bit on how that's kind of connected to workforce development for you and your teams. When I was saying uh, we're constant work in perfection, a lot of that comes from our faith as a family and uh, our Christian belief that none of us are perfect and we're all flawed. And I think it's easy to get in the trap of, and, and I'm speaking of myself personally here, it's easy to have a perfectionist mentality that, you know, the days that things don't go well, whether that's in your own personal life or at work, it's easy to beat yourself up and get aggravated and irritated about it. Even things that are out of your control. For me, the big challenge is making sure that I only work on things that are in my control and only I try not to worry at all, but think about the things that are in your control. And and those are the things that, that you can handle and everything else you sort of just need to learn from it and and move on and and give yourself a lot of grace to, to not, you know, beat yourself up so much. And that's difficult for a lot of leaders because you tend to be a burden bearer and take on a lot of other people's issues and, and, uh, and, and problems in the company. And especially when your name's in the door for my family, you know, it's our names on the door of everything around here and, and people can throw that in your face at times, but, uh, it's every day's new, uh, every, and that's, that's a blessing for us. And, and every day is a learning experience. And for us, we, we feel like we've never arrived. Like there's no golden, plateau we're going to reach. It's, it's just, you know, it's, there's no such thing as perfection. And, and every day we just want to make a little bit more progress toward, toward a better world. Yeah. I think that's a great um, mentality to carry into the workforce because we're lacking people for a reason. And if we approach people as works in progress, they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to have arrived. As you said, how can we train them? How can we cultivate them? You know, what can we learn from them um, and and listen and how they want to be in our industry? I think we'd have more workforce if we had an approach that you're talking about of we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for someone willing to work and a work in progress. Um, So I think that's a fantastic principle to take into workforce development. So thank you for that big nugget for all of us. So, you know, with so many years of success, I feel like this is a big question. Um, How do you see the company changing in the next five to 10 years? And how do you see yourself creating you know, and, and obviously you, you don't seem like the type of leader where it's all on you. How do you see yourself and your team and, and your peers creating that change for the company? Yeah, it's a great question. I think all businesses are uh, sort of haunted by Amazon, if you will, like the, the Amazon <laughs> effect and, and how amazing they've done at just creating such an easy, you know, whether it's one-click purchasing or, or everything at your fingertips all the time, everything's mobile. And the whole world is sort of moving to that. And so I think that the biggest change our industry will see in the next five years is moving toward a mobile platform and, you know, getting AI involved. And, and I just think it's expected. It's no longer like a wish from a consumer or, or customer. It's, it's now the expectation that, you know, why can't you guys get with the program? 
So I, I think that's going to be a challenge for for our industry in particular on the construction side because we just we're, we're not that far along. I you know I feel like it's a lot easier to order pizza. You know, I, I do the Domino's pizza tracker and and uh, it's just <laughs> it's so simple. But and I think why can't we have this in our business? Like Absolutely. why does a customer have to place an order for a footing, and then you know not even a day later, call up and give all the same information for a wall that we know he's going to pour on top of that footing. Absolutely. It's just ridiculous. And so I think over time, quickly, I hope, and something that I'll be pushing is a lot more technology that we can push out from the, really from the customer facing side. And I think that's, I think we're going to have to get there. We will for sure. And I love that you're thinking about that. I think when our industry talks about tech, we instantly think about equipment, right? Right. Um, But my background was in nonprofits and also corporate. And I just felt like they were way more advanced than we were when it comes to customer and donor interface. How do we bring that into construction? And that's just great that you guys are thinking through that. And I thought that how, do, how come they can't order the same load of dirt that they're going to order every day or the same right. gra- gravel and material two clicks away? You know, we're, right. we're, tr- we're trying an application right now and investing in one for our dumpster business, trying to get our superintendents three to five clicks away from a dumpster swap. Cause I'm like, we don't need a phone call. They don't want to make a phone call. Right. You know? Like how right. do we, like you said, we can order pizza. Why can't we order our, our dumpster switch? So that's pretty exciting. That So you're really moving your company to think bigger when it comes to customer interaction, customer needs and technology. And you're kind of thinking of, about Amazon, which you're the first leader I've heard really, really speak that way, which is fascinating. How has your team responded to that, that big thinking? <laughs> Well, I think everybody's on board with that. I think it's long overdue. Yeah. And, uh, they're excited about it. And so we're, we're looking at seeing what we could do or investments we can make to get us there. Awesome. And, uh, it's it's going to be a challenge. I think, you know, anything that's new and innovative in any industry is probably going to take longer and more expensive than you think it is. Uh, it's very expensive, <laughs> right? Tech is always expensive. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned 2020 a little bit, and I know you were able to take that sabbatical, which I'm very, very inspired by that. Um, as a leader as well, but it was a challenging year for the company. What were some of the big obstacles that you guys overcame or, or lessons learned um, from 2020 aside from how important it is to take time away from, for the family? So I I was out, but talking to my brothers and and the experience that they went through, they did an absolutely phenomenal job navigating that whole thing. The big lessons from what from what they've told me coming out of that was just how much they value the people that that work here and the commitment. We've always said, you know, our, our greatest uh, secret weapon or whatever you want to call it is our people. I mean, there's no big secret there. Like, yeah, anybody could copy all the same equipment and you know assets and properties that you have, uh, but they can't copy the people that you have. That's every we feel like every single person in the world is unique and and has a unique contribution to society that nobody else can can give. And so and we feel like our team is uh, the best of the best. And so we're super proud of them. And and that's just everybody pulled together and and really made things work. And and uh, and that's, you know, the, basically the gist of what I got out of my brothers is how how much they came to appreciate just just how hardworking and dedicated and loyal and, and excited everybody was to figure it out. And they yeah. did. And, and we came through the year and and we did OK. And so that was just. Because they were telling me that when it first hit, we didn't know if we were going to stay in business or not. Like you heard about some industries getting totally shut down. Yeah. 
and that was scary, you know, so, but we're just thankful that we're able to survive and, you know, people got to spend more time with their families and, you know, figure out what's important in this world. And, And same when I was off on my sabbatical, just spending time with my wife and kids. And that was just the most amazing experience I could have had. Yeah, I think the value on family and and really just slowing down and and spending time with the family became a huge value that so many more people saw and hopefully corporations and companies see that even more for sure uh, for their people. We were all forced to see that. We were forced to be together. Right? So, so one of the I do um, a lot of the onboarding. I, I like to go in and talk to any new hires and just introduce myself on behalf of the family and that kind of stuff. And one of the things I'd tell them is we feel like as a company, your family's more important than your career. Yeah. And we want you to make sure that you're taking time with your family, that you have a good home life and, and you're taking care of that because if you're good at home, you're going to be much better in your job here. Yeah. If your home life, you know, is, you know, whatever's in your control, if it's not good, it's, yeah, that's going to leak into your work and it's going to, you're going to suffer here. And so make sure that you put your family first over the company. That's phenomenal that you encourage your staff with that. And this is a dangerous job to do out on the job site. We don't want, like we talked to our staff, we don't want you coming here, you know, with, with a tough day. And if if you are talk to us, let us know, like we're here to support you. You're running equipment and big trucks, right? This isn't the industry, you know, for that. So I love that you're starting at the very beginning with just family first and having a good family life. So here's a big thing. Ozinga just celebrated. It's, this is unbelievable. 93rd anniversary. And your growth has come with several acquisitions along the way. How do you know when it's time to take the next leap? And what advice do you have for other business owners looking at that? Well, I would say over the years, um, we've had acquisitions that were companies that we competed with. And there was some new growth to other areas that we weren't in. But a lot of the acquisitions came after having relationships with some of the people we acquired for sometimes 20 or 30 years. And so it looks like, oh, you just had this acquisition and that one, and you bought this company here and there, and it looks so easy. And well, sometimes th- those negotiations take decades. Yeah. And it, it, you know, 93 years is a long time and, you know, four generations later. And uh, so just, I would say my advice is, you know, just, because somebody says no, or you're looking at something and the timing isn't right, it doesn't mean it can't happen in the future. You know, so think long-term, especially if that's your mindset with the business is, you know, things change rapidly and people's situations change and, you know, just to have good relationships with everybody, never burn a bridge. And, uh, and then opportunities come along that you maybe thought were never going to happen. And then you get a phone call and they say, Hey, you know, I, you know, I remember us talking five years ago and, and, you know, I've changed my mind, you know, can we talk? And, uh, and that happens quite a bit, believe it or not. I would say that's the norm. It's the times where you walk in and say, you know, having a conversation with someone and show interest in buying their company and and you get a deal done six months later, that's very rare. Very rare. And that's very encouraging to hear you talk about that. We've always known in order to grow acquisitions are going to have to be a part of our future, just in looking at our marketplace within the excavation industry. But that's great. You're saying it doesn't happen overnight. Start the, the relationship should be there now have the conversation now. Yes or no. It could be five, 10, 30, like you said, 30 to 40 years in the making of just yeah, long-term sure. relationships. That's incredible. Now, how do you ensure as you grow, um, you know, through acquisitions, cause you're taking on a whole different team 
of, of people. Right. Um, and I'm sure that comes with a unique challenge. How do you make sure that your corporate culture is being modeled and understood? Like, do you guys kind of have a plan of what do you do there um, to bring on a whole new team of people that maybe don't know the Ozinga culture yet? Yeah. So it goes back to like uh, when I was talking about before, when we grow, it's just being very intentional about talking a lot about our family history, where we came from, how we got here, what our family values are, what our company values are, um, what we think is important. And, and a lot of that is, is not uh, about, you know, numbers and income statements and that kind of stuff. It's the mm -hmm. people. And so we really focus on, you know, talking about the most important thing being the people and the impact and that kind of stuff and the community. And so that's, uh, it, it sounds, I'm sounding repetitive or redundant, but no, not uh, at all. it's really not complicated in that sense. Cause it's, it's, it's easy to get hyped up and okay, we're going to take on this new acquisition or, you know, move into this new area and bring equipment out there. And you can get excited about doing things like tasks or, or completing projects and you sort of step over the, all the people that are involved in it or don't pay attention to them. And uh, if you take care of your people, everything else falls in line. It all works. So that's by far the most important thing to do as a leader. And, and I think it's good that you are being repetitive with some of these principles because they're unique to our industry. Uh, it's not a norm, you know, it's our, our industry, at least from, I came from a very people programs, raising money for, you know, kids in the neighborhood, like very feely, you know, to construction. And I was like, are all the feels gone here? Right, right, right. <laughs> and it's been very new to try to bring service and support to the earth moving industry for me. So, and it, it just didn't exist. I was shocked, you know, that people first and values, just, I didn't see that. So I think what you're saying is important and it needs to be repeated because it's, it's the way our industry used to be. And I feel like we've maybe gotten away from that, become very mm -hmm. trans transactional production versus people. And, and so I appreciate that you're repeating, you know, family values and people first and leadership through listening. It's great. Well, I'll give you a quick story. So back in 2019, I felt like I was working you know, maybe obsessing too much about work. So I was thinking about work 24 seven and just busy and, and, you know, checking my emails and texting and phone calls late into the night and that kind of stuff. And I, it sort of took over my mind and to the point where I wasn't really present in conversations with my family or friends or that kind of stuff. I had a hard time concentrating and very like ADD distracted and and uh, it got to the point where my wife was like, you need to get some help. Like, this isn't good. <laughs> you need to go get some executive coaching or something because you're just not, you know, you're here, but you're not. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, the funny story was we had a, a fishbowl in our counter in my kitchen. And I, I came home one day and I said to my wife, Annie, I said, you know, when did, did you just get that fish? When did we get that? And she goes, uh, that's been there for like six months. And its name is Bubbles, and we got him at the fair. And I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" <laughs> I'm like, "All right, I'm I'm gonna go get some coaching and and get some help with this." And uh, I think between that and and then taking the sabbatical and and that kind of stuff, it just really set my mind straight to to be a lot less transactional and to be a lot more purposeful about when you're sitting across from someone in a conversation, like be present with them. Yeah, there's nothing more important than the person, you know, than people. Than, than having a good 
you know, you're not going to have a positive impact with someone if you're not showing any interest and you're like, okay, are you almost done talking? So I can, I have some emails to answer or you're on your phone when they're trying to talk to you. And yeah, that's an easy trap to get into and you don't even realize it, but you're missing out on the most beautiful part of life. And that's yeah. the person right in front of you, especially if it's your family for crying out loud. And I'm talking about myself, like I was guilty of it. Yeah. And uh, so that, that's something that I'm worked very hard at now. It's something you have to work at. I know I just took a step away from social media um, and have people reaching out like, what are you thinking? And you built this big platform right, and you have all these right. people. And I'm like, what about the people right in front of me? What about my team? What about my family? Um, I've found it very difficult to be present when you're constantly scrolling. And yeah. there's just something in the scroll of emails or calendar or text or social that keeps you disconnected from the most important things in front of you that to me, build a better you, you oh, know, for sure. Yeah. There's, um, there's a lot of really smart people spending billions of dollars to have you addicted to your phone. Yeah. They would love that. Right. To keep us <laughs> disconnected. So I'm, I'm inspired and, and continue to feel like, I think I made the right decision there to be more present with our business and our and family. And you can delegate that stuff. Like you don't have to do it necessarily. Yeah. No, we just hired a company to take over our social channels and I'm very excited uh, to see what they do. Like you said, they're experts, delegate it to the experts, let them do yeah. what they do best. Um, now talk about the executive coaching. That's fascinating to me. Cause that's another conversation I've heard among a lot of owners is in the construction industry. Who do you go to for coaching and how, how did you find your coach? You know, was it through, you know, a service you'd recommend or um, talk to me about that experience real quick, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So um, this sort of came out of necessity and, and I would recommend coaching to anybody, even if you don't think you need it. Cause I, I think it's good um, to, you know, whether that's learning more about yourself, like you mentioned, you know, find out what your strengths are, whether that's like, uh, you know, strength finder 2.0, or I think anytime you could just learn more about yourself and especially your team and, and see what, where your strengths and weaknesses are and how you work together. That's a good thing. Yeah. And so we've been doing a lot of that at work as well with development, with all of our folks. But uh, mine came out of more of necessity as I wasn't really handling things very well. And so that uh, introduction came through my pastor at my church to an executive coach. And, you know, just he sat down and asked me, really, what are your core values as a person? Like, what's important to you? And uh, to me, it was, you know, it goes back to having a positive impact, making sure my life counted for something, yeah. making sure that I was obedient to the calling of what God wants me to do in my life. And another value was hard work. And, uh, and he's like, well, one of the things he said to me is like, you're, you're going to have a hard time making a positive impact. If you're stressed out, full of anxiety, grumpy to people, you're not paying <laughs> attention to what they say. Like, that's just not going to, if that's one of your personal core values, you know, you're not going to be doing very well at that. So you need yeah. to take care of yourself. And I was like, yeah, you got a good point there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Solid point. Solid connection. Right. Right. <laughs> so that's been a really valuable thing. Now, did he have experience in business as a business owner? Or is this kind of his? He he was a psychologist, doctor, and he worked with a lot of executives and, awesome. and various people. He worked with medical doctors. Um, I was telling him, you know, how I, I had a hard time dealing with certain things that didn't go how I expected at work or big jobs mm -hmm. that you, whether you had an accident or, you know, you bit it wrong or this stuff, I would lay awake at night, just sort of frustrated with, you know, things not going the way I want them to, which is a little bit, you know, prideful. I'll just call it for what it is like, but, uh, and so he was saying that he works with some doctors that when they screw up, somebody dies oh, man. Like on the table in front of them and they have to go tell the family, you know, 
I'm sorry, but your loved one didn't make it through the surgery or whatever it was. Yeah. And he said, so just for perspective sake, when you, when you get really upset about a job or, you know, something that's not really has to do with someone's life, it's just more, you know, an economic issue or whatever the case is like, try not to get too worked up about it. Like there's more important things in the world. Like you need to let stuff roll off your back more and, you know, breathe or find, you know, ways to, whether it's meditation or, you know, just, just chill out a little bit. Yeah. That's a great perspective to carry. I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist with, with the work and how how we execute. And that's a great uh, scenario to think about. Did, did someone die (laughs) with this small mistake, you know? Um, So you talked a little bit about positive impact. And I just, I want to kind of close out on that. Your company states its purpose is making a positive impact on individuals, their families and the community for generations. And that's a really powerful statement. Why is this so important to your mission and how does it drive you and the business? I would say that if we weren't making a positive impact anymore, if our company say, it, you know, the culture got away from us or our people just, you know, we're getting constantly feedback that we're, you know, a disservice to society or whatever the case is, I think we would just sell the business at that point because it, that is not who we are. That's not what we want to do. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's really how we look at, that's the lens we look through the, you know, at the way we do everything is, you know, are, are we making the world a better place? And so that comes through various things um, that could be small things, large things. But, you know, one of the things that we do, and we don't advertise this on our website or anything, but we give away a minimum 10% of our income every year pre-tax. Wow. And, uh, and so we, we do a ton of charity work to various organizations that we love to support. And to us, that's just another form of giving back, like to the communities that have blessed us. And that's a big reason we're in business is to help others. Yeah. And sometimes people think like you can only help others if you, you know, join a nonprofit or you're in some kind of, you know, you're a pastor of a church or whatever the case is. But there's a lot, you know, for us and and the people that work here, um, they'll know that we're all working for a bigger mission and purpose to help others. And so it's, it's really a rallying cry that, you know, just doing your work every day. Like I'll give an example. If you're say in quality control and you're testing concrete and you're doing the same thing, the same test day in and day out, you say, well, what positive impact am I having on, on the greater community? I'm just doing the same thing and it's monotonous. And, you know, and so I would say that, don't look at what you're doing. Don't let that define you. What you do does not define you. It's who you are. And it's your interactions mm-hmm. with your customers, with the community, with your coworkers. Like you could have an enormous impact. And sometimes you might not ever know For sure. what impact you're going to have or do have, but you are having an impact. There's no one that's the same as you. There's no one with the exact skills and abilities that you have. Yeah. And so embrace that and, and, you know, find your purpose and who you talk to and who you communicate with and that kind of stuff. It's not about what you do. Yeah. And by the way, you're a massive part of this big group. We're all sort of in the boat rowing together. Yeah. We need you. We couldn't do this without you. And look at what we're doing as a company to help right. the community around us. Absolutely. And the work you're doing, you know, for that quality control person, it's like, you're the roads that families drive on every day. I know you, you guys sure. were awarded that big contract for a highway there in 
uh, Chicago, I was reading on your website. And I mean, that's significant. You're a significant part of society with the work you do. And, and that's really amazing. I just, I love your mentality and your approach. I think it's important to go through it, but really quick, your fa- you talked here on your favorite business book or podcast. Um, and what's the most valuable thing that it's taught you? Um, real quick, share with the community. So one of my neighbors introduced me to how I built this with Guy Raz. And, yes. and uh, so I'm, I'm a, like a voracious reader and, and sponge with learning things. I'm constantly reading different books and, and listening to different things. I, I like to read through the Wall Street Journal in the morning and about all kinds of different industries. And, you know, I probably, I probably read for between reading and listening four or five, six hours a day sometimes, you know, from morning to night. But, awesome. but uh, the, the podcast, how I built this. I just absolutely, and he does a great job with with the editing and putting the stories together, and um, you really start to you know feel like you're you're you know getting a good idea of that person's life and struggle and that kind of stuff. But a lot of the people that he has on his, as guests, their stories are some of them are just absolutely tragic in how they they lose everything and get it back and then lose it again and you know go through all kinds of personal struggles. And then eventually, a lot of the people that you know is interviewing for a reason, they they have like these hundreds of millions or billion dollar business, and but they're looked at as the end product of like, wow, look at that success, and it was just overnight. And but when you start from the beginning, it's just like, oh my gosh, I don't know how many people would actually keep going through that, you know, yeah. basically of of getting to where you got to, and uh, it's just I love it because there's no such thing as like a shortcut or an easy road or easy path, or, you know, if there was everybody be doing it and then there'd be no benefit to doing it yourself. Absolutely. And so like, if, if you have something that's special and unique and, and a big value, um, you, you didn't come about that easily. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that takes a lot of hard work and perseverance and, and that's good. Like, you know, look at challenges as something that's going to improve you and make it better. Don't, don't look at it as a nuisance or it's too hard or we can never make that happen. Like, because, um, people, a lot of people before you have done it and, uh, they make it happen and it, it just make that all part of the adventure. It's not about the destination. It's about, you know, every day, just going through it and the impact you have on people through the process. Yeah, I think that's great. And I'm going to add that uh, to my podcast list. I'm an avid listener of podcasts. I just love consuming them. So how I built this, you said, is what it's called. And mm-hmm. who who's who's it by? Guy Raz, R-A-Z, I believe it's spelled. Okay. Awesome. I will check that one out. So here's kind of like my takeaways from this interview. And I always like to do this at the end of an episode. Um, You were repetitive with some principles. And I think it's important um, to really like tune into the principles of you and your family, because as a fourth generation company preparing to hand off to a fifth already, clearly the principles are working (laughs) and they're ones to listen to. So I liked as a leader, you surround yourself with self-starters. I think a lot of leaders identify with being a dreamer, being a visionary, what's next. And I think it was interesting to me that you like to surround yourself with self-starters. And that's an important kind of thing to put with a leader. That's a dreamer. Um, I like your leadership principle of leading with questions. The more information you have, uh, the better leader that you are. Um, kind of one of these principles that repeats with the family and you is paying attention to your people and, and really taking pride in your people. Um, not just being a people first business, but asking your people to be a family first business. Mm -hmm. I think that's just so powerful and clearly why you've been able to really build 
such a legacy company? And then are we making the world a better place? Like is our company, our values, are we making the world a better place? And then your faith, that your faith has been first through four generations is so inspiring. And and I think it's so easy to get away from that. It's just like you said, the business, the transaction, what's happening. And it's like, but the faith and the people and the listening, and you just really hit us with some great longstanding principles. And I am so grateful that you shared that with us. I'm inspired and our listeners will be as well. We like to end with a fun, you know, rapid fire round just to give the listeners a little bit of a taste on the side of who you are, you know, outside the business. Um, So tell us your first job, which you kind of already touched on. Was it Ozinga or did you have like a lawn mowing business or anything on the side before that happened? No, I had some other uh, (laughs) construction jobs with with some folks that knew my dad that, you know, whether it's uh, hauling plywood up to the top of a roof, you know, or. (laughs) Or, uh, you know, a lot of other dirty jobs, (laughs) just manual labor, digging trenches, you know, sweeping floors. Um, you know, my, my dad, we have a place up in Northern Wisconsin and he used to make us work for half a day before we go out and and play on vacation. And so we'd be doing lumberjacking and cutting down trees and, you know, splitting wood. And we absolutely loved it. It was just as fun as, you know, going out and swimming, but, uh, so th- th- there was always like this hard work mentality growing yeah. up. Yeah. So sure. you, you've probably had a job since you were five years old, like similar to my husband. Right. Right. <laughs> um, what was your very first car? Probably like a minivan or something. After I got you know married with kids, I, I had uh, being being a part of the company. There's always a pickup truck laying around, or you know my my dad had a, a vehicle for us when we were in high school and stuff. But yeah, uh, probably something very unexciting. <laughs> I like it. And if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? I've thought about that. I'm not quite so sure. I think maybe something in the ocean. I like swimming in the ocean and, and uh, you know, snorkeling and free diving and being on a boat and, you know, I, being in the sunshine. And, you know, I, I don't know, probably something along those lines. I like it. And what song is there a song that gets you pumped up in the morning? In the morning? Uh, I like I listen to a lot of EDM, like that gets me pumped up. I, I don't know. It's maybe I'm a little too old for that, but. Oh, I, I do too. I'm, I'm not the fan. only one. <laughs> <laughs> that alone inspired me to continue to be myself. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I love it. EDM. Um, who is the person you wish you could have dinner with? That's easy. That, that would be my wife, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, are you listening? <laughs> I think she's the coolest person in the world and I look forward to every meal with her. So it's awesome. Beyond that, I would say, uh, you know, this is a tall ass, but Jesus Christ, I, I'd like to sit down at his dinner table and <laughs> well, someday, but you know, anytime soon would be good too. Yeah. A lot of questions there. Right. Right. What is your dream piece of equipment? One that's not built yet. I've been uh, dreaming about it for a while and, and uh, a different way to deliver ready mixed concrete. And, and uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm working on okay. it. Okay. So it's in your mind. It's in my mind. I like it. I, I, I'm spending money on it foolishly, but uh, it's a work in progress. Keep us posted. <laughs> yep. What do you predict will be the biggest disruptor for your business in the next five years? And I think we talked about that the yeah, I think mobile. I think if if you don't embrace technology, I, I, you're gonna have a hard time competing in the yeah. new world. It's just you know, back to that pizza analogy. Domino's pizza is not my favorite pizza by any stretch, but when I have to call the local pizza company and be put on hold for two minutes just when I call, and then give all the same information I give every time, 
It's just my kids really don't care what brand I get. And so I open this the Domino's Pizza Tracker app. All my information's on there. It's Boom. like it shows like an Uber, like the car coming, the payments all in there, everything's in there, your last order is in there. It's just brain dead. It takes about 10 seconds. Yeah. And then it says, you know, Joe is showing up with your pizza. You just pulled into your neighborhood. Yes. And it's just like the why would I ever order? In, and the, since they've launched that product, actually, I think their sales went up something like 30%. I mean, really? it was a boom for their business. So the data for mobiles there. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a no-brainer. It's and a no-brainer. So I, I just think we need to get there as an industry. I love it. And last one I added, because I think part of being in construction is eating at the gas station. What is your gas station go-to when you, when you got to stop, headed out to the site, meet someone? Oh, yeah, it's the gas station. Not, not so much food anymore. I, I'm uh, <laughs> trying to stay away from gas station food, but I would say like a, a buy, B-A-I. It's a, yep. it's a, you know, it's a somewhat healthy drink. You know, it's all natural and there's like two cups worth of caffeine in it and uh, keeps me awake and it tastes good. So that, that's usually what I get at a gas station. I appreciate your solid attempt to stay healthy at a gas station. I right, think that's right. great. Well, thank you again, Justin. This this time was full of learning and inspiration and really core values that I think the listeners who are in the field and listeners who are company owners, who are leaders, there's so many takeaways uh, for both sides of the spectrum. So I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your knowledge today. Yes, yeah, great talking with you. Thank you so much. Of course. And that's going to wrap up this edition of ConExpo ConAg Radio. If you like the show and think other people should listen too, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We'll be back next time with another great guest. Until that time, be sure to visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect for even more ways to connect with the industry.